So today I'm going to be focused on a very complex and intricate idea. Um, This idea has a lot of political, cultural, and social dynamics to it that I really have to get into before I get into it. That was Randon Heim. Randon is the host of Don't Worry, We'll Talk It Out, a podcast exploring the fundamental concepts that drive how we perceive the world. The psychology of a riot, the Black Death, coronavirus erase relations, and ignorance is bliss, how anti-intellectualism ruined America are just a few examples of subjects Randon has covered on his show, but today he joins me to discuss cancel culture. My name is Sam Breakgear and you're listening to Brains Bite Back. Your weekly podcast looking at how our brains, psychology and society are impacted by the ever-evolving technology that surrounds us. If you are unfamiliar with the term cancel culture, well, you're in the right place. But to give you a brief description, Cancel culture refers to the act of withdrawing support for public figures and companies that have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. In this episode, we discuss the positive and negative use cases of cancel culture, how innocent citizens have been impacted by this, and beloved historical figures who could have been impacted by cancel culture due to skeletons in their closets. Since it's impossible to future-proof what we say or post against the moral standards of tomorrow, We explore how society's perception of past comments, pictures, or posts will evolve in time, and what it will take for us to find a healthy relationship with council culture. And before we move on with the show, I just want to take a moment to thank everyone that has left us a review, either positive or negative. The positive ones we of course love, and the negative ones, I mean, as long as they offer some constructive feedback, I'm all on board for them. And I'm going to start off by naming one right now, and this one's from Zidthra says skip this one and they've given us one star which is not ideal but they did say sorry too much talking not enough information so i'm at least grateful for them explaining the reason why they feel this way and something we can improve on and for a more positive one this one's from i can't even say that g-a-b-c-t-i-j-g-f-c who says very informative they've given us five stars Wide variety of interesting topics. Really enjoyed the Digital Nomad episode. Host has a great voice. Thank you very much for your kind words. Admittedly, I can't take too much credit for my voice. It's just the voice I was born with. But nonetheless, thank you very much. So please keep the reviews coming. No matter what your thoughts are on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave reviews on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that allows it. Or alternatively, you can reach out to us directly at, at The Sociable on Twitter. We'd love to hear what you think. Anyway, on with the show. Tell Me Your Startup Will Disrupt Industries, I'll add you to a list of thousands of other entrepreneurs who have said the same thing and failed. Sure, you believe in your company and its product, but it's one thing saying this yourself and another to have an industry influencer say it about you. And that is the power of digital PR. If you're ready to gear your business towards growth and gain, our sponsor Publicize is a digital communication agency that has helped businesses like yours gain exposure in major online publications for the past decade. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. Random, would you be able to tell our listeners who you are and a little bit about your podcast? Don't worry, we'll talk it out. Uh, yeah, uh, Sam, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. My name is Randon Heim. So, 
yeah, I run this podcast. Don't worry, we'll talk it out. And currently, I'm in a, a clinical psychology a doctorate program. I have a background in, in neuroscience and philosophy. So everything I just mentioned, I like to kind of bring all of that into the podcast. Um, I also love music. So I love like throwing like, I have like cool little interludes that I do there. And I like to talk about a lot of big kind of abstract concepts. Like we're going to talk about today with cancel culture. I've, I've done a few episodes on that. I've done one episode about anti-intellectualism. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested really in just the kind of, I guess, kind of ethereal things that kind of function what we really believe in and how we conceptualize the world and society. So that's what a lot of my, my topics are normally uh, kind of centered around. Yeah, I saw that and I really liked it. And actually you mentioned the music. And I have to say, I do really like the music that you add because I think it really kind of complements your voice. When I first heard your podcast, I was like, oh, this, this fellow has a nice voice. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until afterwards where you mentioned like you're from the South. And then I heard the kind of like Southern <laughs> accent of yours. Yeah. And I realized that's why I like it because I, I mentioned to you before, I love New Orleans, like the South for me. Mm -hmm. I, I have some kind of like romanticized image of the South. So I think that like your Southern accent with that kind of music piled on top of each other made me really go like, mm, this is, this is sounds like some kind of like lounge, like relaxing. Right. Lounge music. I like I mean, it. I have a few people uh, who, who like to listen to me before they go to sleep. They, they think <laughs> I have a, they think I have a kind of a calming voice for that. I can see that. Yeah. I definitely would. Yeah. It's funny though, because the topics which you discuss are not exactly the mm -hmm. topics that would send someone to sleep in the sense that they're right. quite like heavy and deep. So, <laughs> so <laughs> right. it's like, it's like heavy subjects in a relaxing tone. So it's a, a mm -hmm. good combination in that sense. But I wanted to bring you on today because I heard one of your episodes and I, I really loved it. And I thought that you had some fantastic talking points. And I think it's particularly relevant for our audience just because it's so overlapped with psychology, which is like a major focus of yours. And I know something that you really specialize in and also technology because cancel culture, what we're going to discuss, I suppose, technology and Twitter and social media and all of that is almost like the steroids for like accelerating cancel culture or even potentially destroying people's careers with like a avalanche of tweets and posts and all that sort of thing. So I definitely think it's, it's very applicable to have you on to discuss this. So if you can, could you briefly explain what is cancel culture and also highlight some positive and negative examples of its use? Yeah, um, absolutely. So cancel culture is, to say the least, it's very, very complex. It involves really kind of, um, I guess, an amalgamation of several factors. So like we can start with the history, right? So it, especially from an American standpoint, we start in the 80s and 90s, you have political correctness, right? And political correctness is really, it's really a focus on language, right? How was an individual uh, speaking about certain groups, um, either, either marginalized groups or kind of power dynamics of certain groups, how were they using their language and how was that actually impacting that group, right? Whether through public policy or just how we talked about them, you know, regular, um, you know, normally in society. So then going forward, you know, like you mentioned, we start having social media. Social media started really around 2013, 2014, right? Uh, you got 2014 is when everyone was like, this is when your mom's on Facebook, you know, this is when, uh, this is when you have a hundred million people kind of immediately just kind of joining it. And that, then we got into kind of 2015, 2016. This is when that word cancel culture started to come out. 
another word for it is call out cancer, uh, call out culture, excuse me. And what this really, it, it, it really originated from the Me Too movement, which is, I don't think really discussed a lot, but it makes sense when you start thinking about, it, and this will be some of the positives that I can bring up about it. Once this originated in the Me Too culture, it was the idea that you have, you have so many people in uh, powerful, you know, places in society who kind of use their either power, wealth, privilege to, you know, to, to hurt marginalized groups. So it really popped up like that, right? Now we have a platform where I can, you know, I, I can literally try, you know, not like I can talk to Tom Hanks if I wanted to, but but I could, right? I, I can send him a message and who knows, he might see it. So that's where that started. This is where it eventually led to individuals like R. Kelly, uh, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Kevin Spacey. These were all individuals who are who held a, you know, a lot of esteem, a lot of respect and power, and really were getting away with things for decades. That, you know, sometimes for the case of Bill Cosby, for decades without any uh, reprimandation or any sort of justice. So that's where we get into the concept of cancel culture kind of being uh, reconciled with social justice and things like that. Now for the negatives, which was, I kind of discussed this on my podcast is that to me, there's really two types of cancel culture. There's one for celebrities, but it eventually started to get one for innocent civilians. And that's where it started to get kind of negative to me because I thought, okay, this is really, this is getting a little dangerous now because celebrityism is one thing, right? It, it's one thing to, I guess, quote, call out or cancel an individual who's of course been committing felonies, right? They're committing uh, immoral acts on humankind. But when we start getting nitpicky, and this is where it kind of reconciles with political correctness, we've become so nitpicky in the semantics of what an individual has to say um, regarding certain circumstances that are happening, you know, especially from an American uh, perspective. And once this kind of started, I, I, I think it's gotten to the point now where it's really not black and white, it's really gray, it's really right mm -hmm. in the middle. Because there are a lot of individuals, and I talk about this on the podcast of an example of a man named Emmanuel Cafferty. Mm -hmm. And Emmanuel was, is, he, he's a Latino individual, and he happened to be making uh, a sign, which is the OK symbol. This is a classic symbol, you know, the, just, just holding up the OK symbol. That's a universal sign. Yeah, uh, it has been kind of captured by white supremacist groups to, to mean white power, right? And a man took a picture of Emmanuel when he was baking this uh, in his car, and they accused Emmanuel of being a white supremacist. And, you know, again, Emmanuel is from Latino descent. Mm. Um, in no way was he referencing any sort of white power or anything like that. Uh, Emmanuel has been fired from his job. Um, he was immediately, you know, reprimanded, um, and he has a, he's, he's had trouble getting a job ever since, right? And this is a regular individual. He's a truck driver, a man just trying to make it, part of the working class. Mm. And a lot of individuals took what they saw and they ran with it. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think we'll be able to get into a lot of reasons, you know, going forward from this podcast of why that happened, right? What is social media really doing to us um, to mm. kind of change our morals and change how we frame certain situations that we might not really understand uh, fully what's going on. So I think in a nutshell, that's kind of where, like the history of cancel culture, that's kind of- Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that, that case that you um, highlighted in your podcast with Emmanuel, 
that surprised me not necessarily because someone saw it and like tried calling him out for it but more than the fact that the company upheld it the fact that he lost his job because of it it just Mm -hmm. sounds so bizarre and so extreme Mm -hmm. and uh i also have to agree with you when you say that it's complicated it's a very gray area i personally feel very uncertain as one a white british male living in colombia having a podcast for like a u.s audience the one thing that i've found is that perceptions of what is correct and incorrect or politically correct or right or wrong is so based in culture as well like for example there are things that i can say in the uk which i probably wouldn't be able to say in the u.s and there's no like venom in like the words necessarily it's just the perception and same with like here in Colombia, there are things they say, which well, I'm like, wow, I, I couldn't say that in the UK. And they just say it like so freely. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a cultural thing. And it's difficult to see it on an international level in that sense. Right. But I, I did want you to share a few examples because I heard some really interesting examples on your show of historical figures mm-hmm. that could have been victims of council culture. Would you be able to share who they were and why they might have been criticized today? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question, Sam. Because um, on my my particular episode about cancel culture, I, I purposely wanted to find um, individuals that we have held of such moral high esteem for so many years, right, uh, for decades. So I purposely picked out uh, particularly two individuals, which was Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, Gandhi. Right, right. <laughs> these are two individuals that. Uh, especially from looking at history, right? Y- you would have thought that these individuals have never uh, had any flaw or moral, you know, moral transgression in, in their lifetime. So I, I did a lot of uh, research. I did a lot of digging, uh, particularly looking at a lot of their, uh, both Gandhi and Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, biographers to, to try to see just what actually happened in their lives and how would particular things, any wrongs that, of course, we're all human, we're all imperfect, any wrongs that they would have had, I wonder how this would be uh, would be perceived today. So we can start with Gandhi, right? Um, Gandhi, of course, uh, helped India establish freedom from British rule. Um, and he was doing all of this pretty later in his life, in his 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. But a lot of his writings in, the, in his early 20s um, Gandhi had some racist ideologies that he had uh, in, in his early life. He uh, particularly um, always called um, the, the Africans who he was around, he called them dirty. He said they lived like animals, that they were uncivilized, right? Um, and Gandhi would go on and later on in his life, of course, to reprimand these thoughts. He was, you know, staunchly an anti-racist at the at kind of toward the end of his life, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I began to think, I, I wonder what would have happened if, I don't know, Gandhi had a Twitter account or something like that, <laughs> right? Um, and it's kind of a fun kind of, uh, I guess, game to play because it is interesting, right? This is a fault, right? And on all accounts, right? Gandhi uh, was a young man who he was coming into his own. Um, he had a lot of ideas about European civilization that was, was kind of uh, instilled in him at an early age. And he had to get away right. from that. He had to get away from some of these ideologies and he had to become an independent thinker and -hmm. think for himself. And that's where I kind of just realized, I I wonder what would have happened if Gandhi is, was 50 or 60 and he was on social media and it came out for the first time in his journals, in his twenties, that, that Gandhi was using, you know, pejorative terms for Africans. Mm. Um, Who knows, you know, who knows what would have happened. Uh, He would have had to, you know, publicly apologize 
Uh, there would have been, you know, a cultural shaming uh, in a sense, you know, of him. And who knows what, what would have happened. Maybe he just would have, you know, been cast on the wayside as just another racist, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for my MLK example, I use something that, and, and this, I think we can have a good conversation about this, Sam, because what's, what I found, this is from David Burrow, who is the biographer of Dr. Martin Luther King. He's written over four biographies for uh, MLK. So what I'm about to say is this is a reputable source. And he's kind of prepping us for what's going to happen seven years from now. So seven years from now, the the FBI are going to uh, reveal some audio tapes that have been locked in the National Archives uh, in uh, the Library of Congress for 50 years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the FBI had wiretaped uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's apartments on various times, you know, J. Edgar Hoover was very, you know, obviously very against uh, Martin Luther King's messages. And um, what they found is that they have some audio safes of Martin Luther King uh, being in uh, extramarital affairs Mm -hmm. um, a few times in his life. Um, The Library of Congress, you know, locked this for 50 years. But in 2027, uh, these are going to be released to the public. And we are going to have a very serious and difficult conversation about the legacy of the great man who is, you know, MLK. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're going to have a reckoning, right? We're going to have a reckoning again with morality. But mm-hmm. the answer to me is very simple, right? He, he was an imperfect being, as he constantly said. Um, and him, of course, being a minister, he, he was always saying, you know, he was born in sin. And <laughs> this is this is what it is, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I, just to put that out there for me, and, you know, I'm a young man, I'm 23. And I, you know, I've made mistakes myself and I will make mistakes going forward, Mm -hmm. but it's really just about coming together and really understanding that we're all imperfect. And even the greatest, you know, moral kind of hierarchy we can put someone on, they made Mm -hmm. mistakes too. Uh, But in cancer culture, that's not allowed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we have a similar situation in the UK at the moment where as a result of, I think, Black Lives Matter, the UK has... um, taken up protests to show solidarity with the US, I believe. Mm -hmm. However, we are now questioning many statues that we have of slave owners or those that have, to some extent, encouraged it in some way. In my home city, I'm very proud that there was an angry mob and they tore down a a statue and then Mm -hmm. we chucked it in the harbour. And in, I think it was in London, there was a statue of uh, Winston Churchill. And I think there's now a debate going on or whether or not if we should still have that statue or how much we should celebrate Winston Churchill, because much like Gandhi, I think that he was famously like quite racist and maybe at the time they were considered normal or acceptable or whatever. But obviously now, like it's not something that we necessarily want to celebrate, mm-hmm. even though he was someone that played like a huge role in our history. Of course. So it's, it's very, it's very complicated and I'm going to be interested to see how the perception of Winston Churchill develops as we i suppose have this conversation mm-hmm. but also as well like going back to your point about um, nobody's perfect and we're all going to make mistakes i mean that's a given mm-hmm. and also on top of that it's not necessarily the fact that whether we do something now which is considered right or wrong but you did mention in your show how our perceptions of what right and wrong is it comes from a perspective of morals in that current time so it seems almost impossible to future-proof what we say or post against the moral standards of tomorrow. So how do you think our perception of past comments, pictures, and posts will evolve in time 
like for example will we become more accepting and do you think this idea that you you mentioned that no one's perfect will slowly begin to accept the fact that no one's perfect and will give more more freedom or do you think that we'll uh, learn to view posts or comments within the time that they were published or spoken <laughs> yeah i mean that's a that's another great question because well you know look you mentioned culture you've mentioned the evolution of society i mean these are obvious things that morality is not rigid i mean we know that right you know mm -hmm. and to to say these things is to is really to get at the the just a changing perception of what is evil and what is good i, I think i think um especially america we have uh, i think it's a bad tendency to label things as kind of i guess moral absolutism right it, that was an evil act therefore this individual is is evil mm reprimanded. Um, this person has said good things all his life, so he will be praised uh, forever. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not, you know, that, that's of course not the way the world really works. Um, it, morality seems to be relative. It, it seems to be indicative, as you mentioned, right? Uh, there are certain things that someone in Colombia might say that in America, well, you know, good luck if you said those mm. things in public. You know, who knows what's going to happen if you're a high, you know, high making executive and you say those things, well, you know, you might get fired or your institution might get canceled, right? Boycotted against, which is another, I guess, another mm. form. I, I, I don't know. I, I think, Sam, I think we're plagued with um, somewhat of a burden of information. How easy it was for me to look up Gandhi and MOK or even to an extent Malcolm X's history. It's, it's the easiest thing in the world, right? It took me less than 25 minutes to, to find these, these these bad things and good things that these individuals have done. Mm -hmm. uh, because of that, I think a lot of people in my generation, and you mentioned, you know, tearing down the statues, it's so easy for us to, to go, you know what? Uh, Columbus was a genocidal maniac. Okay, mm -hmm. well, okay, sure. Yes, that's absolutely true. And it is okay to hold two different, kind of ideals in your head and, and, and keep going. I think uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald said that to have two diposing ideas in your head and continue mm -hmm. to move forward is very difficult. But these are the signs of someone who's emotionally mature enough to, to keep going. So to, um, to kind of bring it back to future proofing, that's impossible. Uh, mm. It is impossible to future proof what you might expect the a future society to look at you and say, well, you know, I don't know what was going on with these millennials, but they should have been using this term for, I don't know, uh, for trans people, right? Mm. Uh, who, who would have thought, you know, and, and we're trying our best now mm. to try to, to, to try to just bring up some empathy and compassion into society as a whole. Mm. Now, overall, I think we're actually becoming more compassionate. I mean, the, the, and this shows, um, we're trying not to to trigger individuals, right? Um, that that in a, in a way, a lot of these a lot of these taking down of statues might be, you know, these are all good intentions. I think the idea is good, right? We don't want to hold up individuals who had maybe bad or evil thoughts up on a pedestal, you know, and, and that makes sense. But it's also one thing to 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 be to to be mad at that history, but it's also another thing to be aware of it, right? these are individuals who are kind of victims of their history. That, that's really all it is, right? I can't really fault 
in a way, I can't fault the totality of Winston Churchill for an ideal that he had when he was born in 1890. I mean, you know, like, let's be honest with that. And I think that honesty is just very important. And it's really just about studying the history and just trying to come to terms of how it fits into the narrative of today and being able to balance the the bad and the good. And like I said, getting into that gray area, which I think is just so important. And that requires a lot of emotional maturity, I think. Um, and I think, uh, I think because of social media and technology, we just have, we're so used to being angry and we're so used to to wanting to tear down the establishment, tear down the institution mm. that we kind of fail to uh, j- just come to a kind of a moral reckoning of, of what this really means and how we can just move forward from that, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also have to say my, my last point and my last question to you, mm. I would say that it seems that cancel culture doesn't hit everyone fairly. And mm. this example just came to mind and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it, what was the bus incident with Donald Trump? Was it Billy Bush? What's his name? Yeah, yeah. Is it Billy Bush? I think is that it is, it's something Bush. Yeah, his last yeah. name is Bush. Yeah. Well, there's there's that fella, and then there's Trump, and uh, it seemed so bizarre to me that as a result of that conversation and that recording that came out, he was then cancelled from or fired from his job. Wow. Uh, so he lost his job, and then obviously Trump goes on to be president. So it's a weird kind of conflict of one person being like called out for this losing their job and the other person goes on to be elected and this is almost like from the same kind of population so for me it seems that cancel culture doesn't impact everyone equally and again you also spoke of a quote from dal davis a black man who actively tries to befriend kkk members who stated the cure for ignorance is education i mean what will it take for us to find a healthy relationship with cancel culture do you think where people are judged fairly and rationally, almost like um, a court of law is supposed to do. Do you think that there ever, will ever be a stage where cancel culture does act in a more rigid way rather than just some random witch hunt where someone mm-hmm. gets their career destroyed and the other one is unharmed? Um, I, I, I want to be an optimist. <laughs> I want to be an optimist and I, I want to say yes, but I, I really don't think so. And the reason is to to touch on your Billy Bush and, and Trump thing. There are some people who are just uncancelable, right? Uh, they, mm. they, they, and Donald Trump is uncancelable, right? Mm-hmm. He can say anything he wants and he will probably get away with it. Mm. And um, most people aren't like that, right? Most people, uh, most people are very afraid of, of harming others with the things that they say. That's how most people operate. And because of that, in terms of kind of, uh, I guess, trying to bring some basic empathy and compassion into understanding the imperfectness of being uh, of the human condition. Um, I'm actually sometimes reminded of a quote from one of my favorite, uh, I think, minds of the 21st century, Dr. Cornel West. And he once said, when asked about kind of wokeism, he said, uh, it was, it, it's hilarious. He, he basically says, it's not about conformity, it's about solidarity. And he says, you can be woke all you want and suffer from insomnia. And what that really is getting at is the fact that calling out individual acts, right, of racism, sexism, homophobia, these are, to an extent, most of the time, the people that you call out of these things, they're not even going to really, really take into account of what you're saying, right? They're, they're going to they're gonna disagree with you in the most part. Mm. We never really know what's inside a person's heart 
anyway, unless they're using the obvious pejorative terms of, say, the N-word or something like that, which most people are smart enough not to do, right? Because <laughs> they know that. You know, <laughs> right. But after we get to that, it, it really fails to take into account a lot of the, the systems and institutions that kind of can profligate this thinking. Um, and that's why I think when you mentioned, uh, when you mentioned, say, Billy Bush getting fired from his job, a lot of these institutions are so scared of the uh, of how how the culture is going to perceive them. They're just like, you know what, let's just get away. Let's just get away from this guy just mm. to be on the safe side, because the you know, the institution has to listen to the public regardless. Right. They're, they're worried about sometimes profit or they're worried about their perception. Um, and, and that really gets into one of the the I think the myriad of problems here is that and we touched on, touched on this a few times, is that it's moved away from the power dynamics of attacking individuals who are using their power to hurt marginalized groups, whether it's uh-huh. women, Black people, or Latino, or, or, or Jewish brothers and sisters. Um, and it's really became attacking the individual for his particular acts of, of racism or xenophobia or something like that. Uh, to, to do that is, is, is really a failure because it, it, it constantly gets away from the main problems where, where the root of these causes are coming from. And I, I, I think if we were to get to a point where we were very, I guess, rational and scientific about our approach to maybe call out cancer, a, a mm-hmm. call out culture, then a lot of this would kind of focus on history. And I've mentioned that constantly, right? It's really about knowing where the individual is at this time, how his mm-hmm. upbringing has influenced how he thinks today, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is really hard. I mean, it's just hard work to do a lot of this stuff. And because of our, how easy it is for me to get on Twitter, see something crazy that someone said, uh, text them, you know, a, a pretty rudely worded, you know, tweet back. And I can feel better about myself. This allows me to feel better. That, that's really all it is. It's a, it's a great dopamine hit. I mm-hmm. have done my moral, you know, my, I've, I've put up my moral thumb, you know, it's kind of a performative action in, in a way. Um, and, and it constantly takes away because once you do that, you're done. Now you're done. I, I've called out this individual. I've done my, my moral deed for the day. I can go about my day. And, and, but now I'm not, I'm, I've lost focus. I've lost focus of the reason that this individual is speaking this way. I've lost mm-hmm. focus of the, the reason that this system is allowing him to speak this way in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think, uh, so yeah, I, I'll probably end it with that. It's, it's just, uh, to, uh, to quote Dr. West again, it's just, it's not about conformity. It's about solidarity. It's about working for your working class brothers and your poor individuals who, are, they're really not, they're not concerned with <laughs> call out. Yeah. You know, they're not concerned with that. <laughs> so that's that's not on their priority list. And it can be a, it can be a priority for a lot of um, sometimes middle class and high class individuals who are trying to, you know, raise their thumb up. Yeah. So we know that they're morally good. So, yeah, I definitely see that as a, a characteristic of those those kind of people, almost like a uh, like a, a trying to be a superhero for yeah people that they think need help. But I think that's a great quote to finish on. And I also have to say now, 2027 is like a year in my calendar, which I'm going to be like, I'm always going to think of that year now as like, oh yeah, I remember Randon said this, like, we're going to see what happens. So you definitely left me with that. But if people want to hear more about your show and just generally follow you and keep up to date with what you're doing for like 
outside of don't worry we'll talk it out or whatever mm -hmm. uh what's the best way to follow you or listen to your work yeah absolutely um so i am uh, i'm available on everything you know spotify apple Podcasts. i have i have my own youtube channel too so if anyone wants to check out any of the videos just look up don't worry we'll talk it out um, you can also follow me on on Instagram. Uh, don't call me out. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Randon underscore Heim, um, H E I M, and uh, yeah, I, I'll I'll be uh, putting out some some good stuff soon. I have a episode on positive psychology and uh, authenticity, so that I want to that's coming out soon in about a week or two. So I'll get that out. And yeah, uh, thank you, Sam, of course, for for allowing me to be on. This is good. No worries, my pleasure. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Publicize. Visit their website if you want to find out more about their PR for growth packages, their free resources, or even schedule a call. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. That is all for today's episode. I hope you liked it. If you enjoyed it and you want more just like this, go to sociable.co where you'll also find articles as well, very similar to the topics we discussed on this show. Additionally, you can follow us on YouTube. If you search Brains Bite Back, you will find our YouTube channel for The Sociable and follow us and subscribe on all your favorite podcasting platforms. And if you've got something to say, well, tell us on Twitter at, at The Sociable. Thank you all for joining us and have a wonderful day.